Hi, I'm Marilee Albert, the founder of One Village Green, a mental health nonprofit. And you are listening to Wake Up. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last several years, you've seen something somewhere about the growing mental health crisis in our country, especially amongst our youth. Something is wrong. But what is causing this crisis? We will examine the problem and find solutions to improve our collective mental health. So let's put our heads together and let's find a way to a better future. Hi, Hi ladies. Welcome Marilee. to the podcast. Marilee. Hi, C. Hi, S. Hi, M. And hi, A. And of course, D, who's here in the studio with me. For the audience, this is a group of moms. We're going to talk about mental health. And not everybody on here has kids with issues, but we're all concerned. And that's why we're all on here. And one thing we all have in common is that we actually all genuinely care about what's happening. We're just going to talk about it, about our concerns. And I want to start by going around. And our first talking point and question is, what were the biggest challenges that you faced with your own kids? What were the biggest challenges that you faced and why? So I'm going to start in the corner with M and why. I I think that what we're seeing, obviously what we're seeing across the globe and predominantly in our nation is the rise of exorbitantly high levels of anxiety, depression, and suicide, with suicide being the second leading cause of death in our country alone. It's also coupled with 347 million prescriptions for SSRIs last year. I agree that there definitely is overprescribing, but I would even step it back and I would start with the internet. And I think the rise of the internet has made kids more isolated. And at least in our school, the only really social outlet was sports. So if you have a kid that's not good at sports, it's hard. I mean, maybe they're good at music. Maybe you could get them involved in something that way, but especially boys, it's sports. And if you're not good at sports and you try it and you're lousy, you go on your screens. That's where these kids go. And there was a kid who was a school shooter the other day. He said, I was lonely. I was isolated. I was depressed. And I think that to me is the biggest challenge is how to connect kids in a way that they feel part of something. I'm going to read his quote directly. I don't have any friends. I don't have any family. I've never had a social life. I've been an isolated loner my whole life. I was just going to say, I think all those things are true. Our kids are, are growing up in an internet age and they are over-medicated, especially in America. But I think probably the biggest catalyst to the increase in depression and suicide rates and all of that is the pandemic and the reaction to the pandemic. I mean, kids were isolated. It doesn't matter what age you look at. There were significant social and emotional ramifications for the pandemic. So two-year-olds that didn't learn how to speak because everyone was in masks and they couldn't watch words being formed to kids that I know of today that still wear masks, not because they're worried about COVID because they're so self-conscious without it. They had to wear it for two years. They're afraid to take it off. Kids that couldn't cope on Zoom, kids that can't cope with going back to school post-Zoom. I, you know, There's so many ways that kids have reacted to this 
And the long-term effects of that, I think we have no idea what they're going to be. Pre-pandemic, our kids were on their phones too much, on their tablets too much, not socializing enough. Then the pandemic forced them into their bedrooms with nothing but their phones, like at a global level coming out of this pandemic. And as we return to normal, what does that normal look like for kids of every age? I think that's very well said. Um, Yeah, I think that during the pandemic, I mean, we just had kind of the perfect storm of teenagers in complete isolation and internet and social media, which caused a lot of these mental health issues. And then, you know, the medication, that's not the problem solver, really. I mean, in my case, it made things much, much worse with my kids. So I think definitely this society needs to come up with like, better ways to connect people. Like personally, my kids were in public school in high school when pandemic happened and school just disappeared. All of it. There was no social, no meetups, no like, let's go for a walk in the park. Nothing. It was, there was just nothing for them for like three months. And then, you know, they started Zoom school, but it took them like the school district so much time to figure out how to get people, you know, back on a program. But I think that these issues started before pandemic, certainly, you know, social and emotional problems have been going on, you know, forever. I think pandemic absolutely exasperated it. And maybe people that weren't in that category fell into that category because then everything was just accentuated. But I wonder where it starts. It doesn't start at school. It can't start at school. Does it start at home? Is it a media thing? Where does it start? Like if if we're talking about it, what's the root? cause of somebody like Columbine. <laughs> Obviously, the letter that this young man wrote in St. Louis was exactly what happened in Columbine. How do you prevent that? Well, there's no question there's organic mental illness, but there's also when you sort of, when you look at American society, it's very materialistic. Economics are changing. There's a thin ribbon of people at the top that are top earners. And we all want our kids to be in that group that can have all that opportunity and that are gonna not have financial struggles. So it creates a very competitive society that's high pressure for kids. I'm gonna add to all this, but I'm gonna go back to the breakdown of community. I'm gonna go back to the American value system, which celebrates, you know, it considered odd for generations to live under the same roof. I had my mom living with us for a long time and people thought that was so strange. and. It actually added so much value to my kids' lives and so much emotional support. And the breakdown of society, the isolation, the community breakdown, it is a real problem. And if unless you have a church or a temple where you have a strong community, I found with the school that my kids attended, community was a problem. And some of you are actually people that looked after me and my kids and hopefully vice versa. And I think that's one of the biggest issues we're having is no one is looking after each other. Yeah, one thing that was very telling to me, and yes, mental illness has always been there, but the rise, especially among teens, is alarming in recent years. And one thing that really hit home with me, I was working with a student on her college application. I met with her a couple of times. And in this particular meeting, she said something along the lines of, in my debilitating anxiety and my mental health issues. And I said, wait a minute, why am I first hearing about this now? This should maybe be in your essay. And she said, why? All my friends have this. This isn't unique or interesting. This is not 
new. Why would I talk about this? All my friends are in the same boat. And that hit home. That was very alarming to hear. Also, just the openness these kids are talking about it actually isn't necessarily a bad thing. But for sure, when we were all kids, it really wasn't as much of a discussion. I I have a freshman and a sophomore, and I do. they're at different schools. They're both private schools. I do see at those schools, there is a huge focus on mental health. Nothing like I had ever seen when I was in college, for sure. There's counselors everywhere. The kids have to register with counselors, and they they have these check-in procedures. So there is definitely a movement to normalize mental health issues. And that's the conversations can happen. And like that child I work with doesn't have to be embarrassed to say that. And that's the positive of it. But the ubiquitousness of it is what is alarming. Yeah. And and I'm glad to hear that about the colleges, the response to what's obvious. Yeah. I mean, when I hear this, like it is alarming, actually. You know, I really feel our kids are too fragile and we've allowed them to be too fragile. We've allowed them to not stand on their own two feet. And we've fed them. We've done their book reports for them. We've done their school projects for them. I mean, in the real world... And maybe what they're recognizing once they get out there is like, people don't do your shit for you. How are you supposed to get an A in life when you've never had to do it on your own? Good point. D? I'm going to say two things. I totally understand what you're saying and have a, a lot of agreement with it. The standing up for yourself. That's really important. That's how you build real self-esteem. I really believe in that. But sometimes you're in an environment, it's happened with me and my son. We tried to have him enter sports And what I hadn't realized was the ultra competitive parents were coaching their kids so that they would arrive already being expert batters or kicker. They already knew the sports. They knew everything. They were ringers. They were great. So then you have a kid that struggles a little bit with the sport. And I open-heartedly went, put him in as a novice. I think there's this overly competitive, overly materialistic value system that puts pressure on. And I understand families. It's like, I want my kid to have a good life. I've got to help him and I've got to coach him and I've got to tutor him to get to Harvard so that he can have that little slice of security that's and and, and all the opportunities of society. But it's a really huge pressure cooker. And then my other point I wanted to say to you, Em, because I understand pathologizing every emotion is not healthy. But I personally come from a family, my mom was bipolar and we didn't understand what it was. Like we were in the seventies and eighties in that great time where people were just crazy and you didn't understand. But like once the understanding came on board and wow, it's a illness of your brain that does respond to a medication. You can sit and talk on the couch all day long, but you're never going to talk someone out of a manic episode if they're bipolar. You know, it it was a very much uh, something that helped my family. Like the label and the medication did help. I understand over pathologizing, over prescribing. I think there is a lot of that. They're just calling people bipolar who aren't. Yeah. But when it is a real case of it, it was incredible to my family. Yeah. I think See, like you, Marilee, this is an issue that now people are actually starting to talk at. So at the school that we went to, and S knows because we worked together on this a little bit, Denise Hope from Stanford developed something called Challenge Success to take the pressure off families, kids, and teachers and schools. It really starts in the family. It has to start in the family. 
you know, you want your kids to be successful, but you deprive them of some of the essentials in life, which is just being kids, (laughs) just play, just hang, just be, just stare out the window in the car. But no one does that. They're in their practices five days a week and they're in their club sports and they're this. So if you have a kid that scooters down to the end of the Correct. cul-de-sac, he's alone because everyone's in these super yeah, programs. I, after I, school I know my daughter was in my car or the person that I carpooled with because we're in the hills. So she never rode her bicycle outside the house. Yeah, I don't think she's ever walked up the street without the dog. I mean, there's you know no reason. But we all grew up riding our bikes and our parents probably didn't even know where we were most of the day. That's right. A lot of this started with fear. You know, apparently uh, kidnappings aren't actually even higher now. It's just the anxiety levels are higher. The fear is higher. I often sometimes even wonder if just the mental health decline is also just, you know, like if you're sitting and playing a video game, you're not getting sunshine. You're not actually outside moving. That always makes people feel better. I know it sounds really simplistic, but I'm wondering if some of the big problems, you know, we're trying to figure out why, you know, and I agree with um, we're over prescribing, over medicating. But I do have people in my family as well who've had actual mental illness, who some unmedicated people that just tortured other people um, in my mom's line of the family, the men, a lot of unmedicated male bipolars who just wreaked havoc uh, throughout. And then the women that were bipolar, they were all, you know, put in, put away. Kind of moving into our next talking point. My kid's public school has a wellness center, wellness counselors. You can make appointments. It's actually incredible. And yet I know a group of kids who are so disenfranchised. They're so detached. They're considered bad. They hate school. And what's weird is the school isn't really able to accommodate them. So I'm wondering what you guys think about that. What could the schools do better? What have you th- seen that has been very hurtful? Because, you know, most of our kids are in school all day. That That's the best place for mental health to start. Um, yeah, At you a, know, something you I start? think schools could do better is kind of forcing kids into these awkward social situations. Like, I remember in middle school and high school, those awkward dances. I mean, you had to go and it was so awkward and painful because of pandemic. My kids didn't get a lot of that. I think the schools could really help by providing that kind of framework. But otherwise, yeah, adults aren't going to reach all kids. But if the kids can at least be together and not be alone, they can learn from those experiences and, and overcome like social anxiety. Yeah. And especially now they've lost time. These kids, they've lost years, a year and a half, two years. Seed, did you want to add? I think that the schools have tried to be in front of the issue. The problem is that they're not, they're behind, they're in back of it. The problem's already snowballed. And I'm not entirely sure that they work effectively with parents at home in order to give them the tools. Obviously, parents don't have the tools and they send them to school for the schools to deal. The school is a great partner in it, but it has to. So we can't be lazy about our children. You know, we're building the future. I mean, there's no rule book for parenting. You know, people say that they want their kids to be happy. Well, what's the equation for happiness? What actually is that? Is that something that you tell your children? I was pretty specific about it. You know, hard work builds self-esteem equals happiness to me. Seemed to work. But how do you articulate that for your children and students? And how can our communities help parents 
figure that out. It's not necessarily the school's responsibility. I think the school can be a great partner in terms of educating our children to be caring, to have a community, to speak up if they are concerned about somebody, perhaps notifying parents if the school is seeing some behavior that's troubling or they think the parents need to be aware of. But I do think ultimately it's up to the parents to decide how to treat, what to treat, and what they want to do with their child if they're exhibiting some sort of mental distress. I don't think the school can or should be in a position to try and take that on for themselves. I think it's more of a partnership with the parents, but if the parents aren't willing to work with the school, I'm not sure there's a whole lot they can do. I also question why school has not evolved with the times. I mean, one thing that I did view and got really up close and personal during COVID and Zoom was how much the classroom was designed the same way my classroom was designed when I was in fifth grade. And the society that I grew up in is not the society we live in today, nor is it preparing our kids to adapt and perform and grow in a modern society. We're still treating kids as though they're living in the 1960s and they're not. They're living in modern technology. You know, there's innovation, there's entrepreneurship. Like we are not punching a clock when we get out of school. There's no pension plan for kids. They have to be able to adapt and perform and grow and thrive in a constantly evolving society. And yet they're sitting there punching a clock in school, being treated as a number and not as an individual, being forced to take classes that they're never going to use in life, to fill out a resume in ninth grade, to go to a college, to overspend on a college, to end up with a degree that they're never going to use in a field that they're never going to touch. And they walk out of school with $200,000 in debt. If their parents, the 1% is not covering the cost of their college education. They're taking out loans, which aren't forgiven even in bankruptcy. And so you have a kid, 21 years old, $250,000 in debt that they can't pay back to go into a field that doesn't offer any jobs. And they don't know how to think for themselves because they're just been treated as a widget. So they're coming into this high school experience, into a college experience without any purpose or meaning or individuality or understanding why they're doing that. I would want to kill myself as well if I had no purpose or meaning. I agree with everything everybody's saying. And I also just keep going back to this breakdown of community. The support of my friends when times have been tough for me has been so key. Uh, both of my parents died when my kids were young and uh, my husband and I have different religions. The support of the community is key, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I even wonder if mental health for teenage boys, specifically girls too, would improve with, I don't know if you guys know about like, you know, remember everyone hanging out in Europe in the 80s, the, the kids were all spending a year um, in service. Doesn't always have to be military service, but what if America had uh, the youth uh, conservation corps and a military corps for a year for boys and girls to build community? There's a lot of things that would ha come of that that would be beneficial. What do you think that our society should be doing besides the schools? Because so far, I don't see concrete things happening or suggested other than they like to give, you know, like you say, there are counselors, but they don't reach all kids. Counselors don't reach all kids. I think that's a great Anybody idea, Marilee, this in? a compulsory kind of social service. I think that's a great idea. 
I wish I had that for my kid. I had yeah. one other thought. It's not exactly on the service. Yeah, no. Any, but anything. what you were saying about community, I wanted to yeah. say one thing. Marilee and our, our kids went to the same school briefly. And my son struggled so much. He wasn't threatening to kill himself. He had no friends, zero friends. He's on the spectrum. He walked around pacing back and forth in the fence. He picked his nose. He picked up candy that went on the ground and put it in his mouth. He did all these things are very socially isolating behaviors. And we were so alone. There wasn't a person that would talk to us. It's like you had a disease and the other kids would catch it. Like, you know, if you, if I managed to scrounge out one play date, it was, if my kid did something weird, they're like, sorry, busy, we're busy, we're busy, we're busy. And Marilee was literally the only person who said, come over, bring your kid. You know what? I'm allowed to have friends and your son can just be a family friend. He doesn't have to be best friends with my sons. They don't want that. They're a little nervous about him, but just bring him around. He, they can run around with the other kids. They play tag, but he could just be part of the mix. Mm -hmm. So you included us very much at a time when no one else was including us. And that's really important. And, and I think, I mean, I understand that most parents are stressed. They're two income families. They're doing their best to get their kids through. But if you have any energy to reach out to somebody that's maybe struggling, I think it's beneficial for everybody because I think that Marilee's kids ended up having a great experience. Well, in like, fact, her kid is uh, extremely good friends with my kid now, and that wouldn't have happened without interference on our part. We're back to the same problems. We all agree that there are big ones. I had this idea for, you know, the service. And I, the reason I don't say military is that some people aren't going to want to join the military. I wish and, my kid could. And I love that idea of service. Yes. And I think it would be great for at least my kid, I know for sure. But since we don't have that, right? is there an act of service that you can just in your heart, if somebody's struggling, right. reach out to them and right. say, you know, hey, Right. Yeah. I think building community, it's difficult because it, people are isolated yeah. and they're working. Yeah. And it is something that if we could just make one small move. Yeah. Empathy is lacking. Mm -hmm. If every single person who had a kid reached out to one person throughout the childhood of their child. And by the way, every single person on this podcast has done so uh, to me, frankly, every one of you has. If everybody did that to that one kid, there'd be one less lonely kid. I know Dee brought up the issue with her kid. I didn't have a lot of time or energy, but I did reach out to her. But I knew there were other kids that I knew about who were struggling and I and I thought about them as well. And I'm like, well, somebody else should do it too, right? It, it might not be a simple solution, but it's not going to hurt. Yeah, that's sort of an interesting yeah. thing because I'm the parent of a girl and M is a boy mom, S mm -hmm. is a boy mom. And they were the ones who talked to me about the issues that my girl was having in school, which it was enlightening for me because I was like, how can you relate to that? But that was very helpful. I think community, that is the most important thing. I did actually think that the school that my daughter went to tried to do that but not necessarily with the parents. They tried to do make a community 
but the parents weren't on board somehow. Are you talking about that school that our kids all went to? Yeah. Yeah. I had an issue with private school because there is an elitism intrinsic in the community. I mean, I think it depends on your private school, right? My children attended three private schools in this area and they all had their amazing things about them and they all had their things they didn't like. And the one we went to last has an outstanding community. And that's one of the things we love about it. And there's trade-offs with everything and nothing is perfect. But I think as a parent, it's really important to monitor your kids. I don't want to use the word happiness because no kid's happy all the time. That's a, you know an unrealistic ideal, but their self-esteem and their comfort. And are they joyful most of the time about going to school? And if not, they may not be in the right place and that's okay. And that's a hard thing to try and change as a parent. To change schools is a big deal. But I think it's really important to evaluate, is my kid in the right place? What other things might be available to us as a family? Um, There's magnet schools, there's all charter schools, there's lots of options in the public realm as well. And sometimes it may not be the right school for all the kids in the family. One school might be better than another for one kid and then different school is better for another kid. And that can be hard to do, especially if you're a low income family and you can't be driving to multiple schools. I mean, there's all these constraints around it, but I do think that being aware, not just defaulting to this is the school we go to, but really being aware, is this the right place for my school? Because every school has its own vibe and its own sense of community, and that's going to work differently for different children. And that's just something I think we need to be aware of as parents. And I think that we're going to stop at this point before we go to part two. And I fully agree with us on that topic. In fact, she was always very uh, clear over the years. And my kids never wanted to make a lot of change and probably sometimes it would have been for the best. But we're going to stop here and we're going to uh, reconvene in part two.